0: all right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Kent Boucher. Kent, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. I'm really enjoying this mild weather we have here in oh, uh, man in Iowa. We don't have that uh, corn sweat going on yet that we're going to have in about a month. <laughs> what do they say? Uh, like the National Weather Service says that because of all the agriculture in the state of Iowa, it actually adds one to two to degrees to the heat index, because of the humidity that the crops give off throughout the summertime
1: yeah yep yep and that's crazy yeah we just have so such a different landscape between now and July and August
0: yeah yeah and I'll tell you what you know I was a notorious about complaining about the weather right it's either too cold (laughs) or it's too hot right or there's too much snow or, you know, oh the spring's gonna suffer. We didn't get enough snow. You know, like yep. no one's ever happy with anything. And it's funny when I travel to to different places, like, you know, here I am in Iowa, it's eighty five degrees with maybe like seventy percent humidity, it's sticky outside, it's you know, a little uncomfortable. Yep. We complain about that. And then I went down to New Orleans, I think it was like two summers ago, and <laughs> you wanna talk <laughs> you wanna talk about humidity. <laughs> It's just gross there. The humidity's just gross there. And yeah. and then I go out to California, right, northern California, where there's no humidity. And these people are like, oh, man, it's cold outside, and it's 75 degrees. And I'm just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is gorgeous out here. So It's getting stuff done weather right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Well, you recently wrote an article in the Iowa Sportsman magazine called 10 Disasters to Avoid with Your Gun Dog. And like I told you before uh, I started recording, I have absolutely no experience with hunting with dogs at all, other than going with someone who basically had a dog, right? My uncle, this was a long time ago, whether it was waterfowl or whether it was, was pheasant hunting. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into this episode, why don't you tell us where you're from and what do you do for a living?
1: Yeah. 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 Well, uh, my wife and I, we live over in the Quad City area in Davenport, and um, I actually am a high school biology teacher. Um, as fate would have it, I teach in the classroom that I used to uh, cause all sorts of problems in, and uh, instead of getting yelled at by teachers, now I get to yell at kids. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, so I can remember back in elementary school, and I think it was even into high school, we would always play these tricks on these substitutes where... the desks back then you were able to lick your two fingers and then there was like a book there was like a book holder underneath of the desk and you could and you could rub them and it would make oh yeah yeah, make these humming noises just like (laughs) and the the substitute teachers were just like what is going on in here i'm like and then so we're everybody in the classroom's in on it right And so we're just like, Hey, uh, just want to let you know, this is the, I mean, we've had this problem before. It's the lights got to get the maintenance crew in there in here and check the lights (laughs) out. So the maintenance crew comes in, they're like, eh, nothing seems wrong. You know, our hands are all on the desk. And then the second he walks out, we're all back to rubbing our desk, just blow. And then finally a, a teacher comes in and she's like, all right, everybody put your hands on your desk. And then it stopped. She's like, these kids are pulling your leg. You, you know yep. like guys if anybody does this you're getting detention whatever so so what are the just out of curiosity what are the tricks that kids try to pull on the teachers these days
1: well it's kind of interesting i i've only been out of college for let's see here 6 or 7 years now and uh you know back at the start of it cell phones were were just kind of becoming like extra appendage you know yeah. they they've officially obtain that status right they're basically another body part on all of us yeah but uh it was still like uh you kind of had to hide when you were texting or stuff so uh the kids would they would they would uh kind of keep the phone like um right down kind of in between Probably in that same area where you were licking your fingers and uh, wiping it <laughs> on the desk there and just kind of hide their phone there, kind of tuck it under their leg and slide it out and, and send a snap or, or something like that. And and uh, now uh, it's everyone's everyone's every teacher's given up on that fight. Right. So so it's it's right there in, in broad daylight. And, and the kids are uh, uh, they're just they're on them a lot and you you try to keep them focused but basically it's gone from you know yelling at kids for doing that kind of thing to finding a way to work around it and and use it as a part of what what productivity should be but that that would probably be the main one so Uh, but yeah some of some of those classic pranks though they they're still circulating they're still still well used especially on subs (laughs) yeah let me ask you
0: this the cell phone thing can't a teacher sure. say, "Everybody, put your cell phones in a basket, and uh, we can, you know, you'll get them back at the end of class"?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's some teachers that do that. Um, then we, you know, maybe that's where coronavirus came from. You know, those phones are disgusting. I don't yeah. want, I don't want to touch them. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Well, teacher, man, better man than me because I, you know. <laughs> Everybody throughout my life has said, oh, Dan, you would be great at being a teacher. And I'm like, uh. I would not because I would be that teacher who just starts telling kids, shut the F up. Right. Just like (laughs) shut up. You're not smart. You're dumb. You know, that's, you know, like you don't know nothing. You know, you know, you want to fight, I'll fight you. (laughs) Like just (laughs) making all the worst decisions that a teacher could make.
1: Yep. Yep. It's there's there's definitely times where you're like, man, I. If 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 I could just say what I wanted to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> but then you start thinking about the news and the newspaper and how teachers end up in the mm-hmm. time,
0: so Yeah. <laughs> Job security. Yeah. Right? I mean I can remember back even in first grade, I got in trouble for throwing like a spit wad at some other kid and I got spanked in the hallway and then oh. I, and I got spanked not only in the hallway by the teacher, but then I got spanked at home by my mom. So I got it. Yeah, I got yeah. it double there. And, <laughs> and then today I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I mean, if you even breathe on a kid wrong, there's going to be a lawsuit. Oh,
1: yeah. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> the the way things are have have uh, totally changed. My my dad, he recently um, uh, was going through some memoirs of his uncle. And there was a, a story in there about so this would have been, I don't know, back in the 40s. Uh, maybe even earlier than that, late thirties. And, uh, one of the kids in his class was causing all kinds of trouble. And the principal came down, he was like an ex drill sergeant or something. And, uh, he grabbed the kid by the ears and just, (laughs) just like (laughs) boxed his head against the wall. (laughs) It's like,
0: Holy cow, man. You know, it's sad to say, but I think the world kind of needs some of that these days.
1: Yeah. There's, there's times when, when, uh, a kid definitely needs more than just a, a stern look and a yeah and a shake of the head, you know. Yeah, but,
0: absolutely. But we do the best we can. So, well, let's get into today's topic because uh, I'm, I'm I'm really interested in this. Uh, I've always wanted a dog, but if I get a dog, I want to train it to do something. Like right now, sure. I say if I ever have a dog. Right now, we have like a 14 year old Maltese that my my wife got, and okay, it is yeah. it's old. It doesn't do anything except now it's getting to the point It's blind. It can't hear. It just poops and pees on the floor if we don't (laughs) let it out every once in a while. And uh, it's not fun. It's straight up not a fun dog to have. Now, I've always wanted, uh, you know, a a lab or some other species that could potentially pheasant hunt or I could go uh, shed hunting with, you know, a shed dog or, you know, something like uh, in uh, a pheasant dog or something like that. But. Right. So, what kind just from just from a high level, what kind of responsibility does a a gun dog need that's different, let's say, than if I got a lab just to have as a pet?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I guess if you're going to if you're going to kind of put gun dogs or bird dogs, however you want to say it, into into a broad category, you know, say w- what's the personality of a gun dog compared to something like like you mentioned, you know, we're just a f- regular family dog. And typically what you're going to find is a higher level of energy. Um actually uh Patrick uh, uh the guy who uh sends us out the the articles here Iowa Sportsman article assignments, he just picked up a uh, Visa pup, and he's had Vizslas in the past and and Vizlas are probably the the uh, best example of that. Just a really high energy dog that's incredibly gifted for the field. But, you know, if, when you own a dog like that, you have to have a <laughs> basically built into your your weekly or, or even preferably your daily routine, uh, just regular exercise of some kind, you know, just to kind of let them get that uh extra jolts of energy out, you know, kind of like a, a toddler. It just sometimes has to get, get cut loose outside and go crazy. And then, and then it's like, all right, I'm good after that, that 20 minute crazy run, you know? And so bird dogs in general, they kind of have that little extra energy need that you have to plan for, but also they're, they're really pretty good with training um, because another common uh, thing that, that, I think, and of course I'm biased, I own a couple of them, but, but, um, I, I've seen it enough. I've heard enough anecdotal evidence from other dog owners. A lot of times gun dogs are just, uh, they have an extra measure of intelligence. If that, if that makes sense. Is that genetics?
0: Is that bred into them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, some of these, these gun dog breeds, you know, they're, they're hundreds of years old that and, and a lot of them are are from Europe and um, have been used for quite different hunting applications of what we use them now but um, yeah clear back when when dog breeders then were, were trying to get together a good team of hunting dogs um, those were those were some of those traits that that they wanted and they've you know, continued on even now as, as, uh, these breeds have moved to the Western hemisphere and used for all of our American uses for gun dogs, that that's a favorable trait that's been preserved in, in most breeds. And, and, you know, some breeds have kind of, they've kind of gotten to be a little bit more showy, you know, and, and, um, kind of gotten away from that, but, but really that intelligence is, is a pretty common, common trait I think you'll find in, in
0: most gun dog breeds okay which makes it which makes them fun to own you know yeah so can you treat a gun dog like a pet still like will uh, or does that that animal have to be more disciplined uh, and have more of a routine as let's say a dog that hey can the kids play with it can it you know can you will it play fetch with the kids can it go on walks or is this an sure. animal that is straight trained to do one thing sure that that's a really good question and, and you know
1: if if you are somebody that's looking to purchase a gun dog you kind of answer that question for yourself right when you start looking you know you you have to identify uh, what your goal is for that dog and if if it's going to be a strict you know i i'm shooting for this dog to be what what would be termed a finished gun dog well then probably not so much of the the Playing with the kids, going on family walks, taking them along on the, you know, weekend trip to the camp, campground type thing. They're, they're kind of almost treated like, uh, oh, just a, a well oiled machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, they just function at the highest level of, of conditioning. And, uh, you don't want that, that focus, that, that, that drive to, to be, I guess maybe you could say polluted by some of the other demands of life. And so a lot of the real serious guys, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely treat their gun dogs different than, than a regular family dog. But, you know, if, if your goals aren't that lofty or, or that focused, then yeah, gun dogs can make uh, great family dogs. In fact, that that's definitely the, the class that my, my two, uh, uh, gun dogs that they fit into their, you know, we call them gun dogs, but uh, quite honestly, a lot of the time, most, I would even say most gun dogs are, are family dogs before they're they're gun dogs. And, uh, but if you're going to do that, then you definitely still have to be putting in that time so that that they stay fresh on their training and, and useful once the
0: fall hunting season rolls around. Yeah. I mean, I've been around some guys who straight up treat their dogs like tools. Um, yeah. They, they clean them they train them, they put them, I mean, it's not like they're going out and playing fetch with them and, and saying, Oh, good boy. You know, great, you know, good boy, you know, and, and like, yep, like you would yep. a, a house dog and sit there and pet it. Right. It's a tool. They've in, put this investment into buying this animal in hopes of it doing a job for them. And, uh, yep. so they're, they're doing that through like this strict routine, this strict training regimen. And, uh, yeah. So it's a lot different than, you know, a pet that just kind of does whatever it wants around the farm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: Okay. So let's, um, let's get into this, this article then when you say 10 disasters to avoid with your gun dog, mm-hmm. are you talking about training this dog, like uh, avoid during training or just to avoid overall?
1: Well, I w- I would say that the two kind of go hand in hand um i think it i think it starts with training to then avoid these troubles in the field and uh the, the, if i'm remembering correctly here the first thing i mentioned in that article was was a dog that that um is under control so so a truly a trained gun dog i think a mistake that you know a lot of and this doesn't just apply to gun gun dog training It can apply to you know somebody who's deer hunting and they're wanting to bow hunt for the first time and they haven't put in the practice and they they uh walk out to go do a sit in a stand and uh they don't have the the skill there to to adequately perform you know uh but just that optimism kind of uh overrides better judgment and and that happens all the time i think with with people who do buy a gun dog and they're like, you know, I kind of want to get around to training this thing, but, uh, I already pheasant hunt. Uh, My buddy's got a dog. I bet he can just kind of learn from him if we just take it out into the field. And that's kind of where you can start training bad habits and also end up in a really dangerous situation, you know, where a dog takes off, um, or a dog uh, crosses a road on its own, gets hit or, You know, just basically anything you can think of, you know, getting sprayed by a skunk even, you know, now how do you get it home? Yeah. (laughs) But, but, uh, there's, I, I think it really, it starts with that. And some of the other problems then that I mentioned in the article, training can't, can't fix all of them, but it can certainly help, uh, mitigate or, or I guess maybe, uh, protect you from those risks a little bit more sometimes things are just happen they're unavoidable but but uh good training is going to save you from a lot of it so i would say that a lot of it starts with the training but then you know as you get into the get into the hunt as a handler you have a responsibility you know it's kind of kind of like when you uh, take your kids to the store you know a little kid to the store you, you uh, try to teach them to listen to you when you when you when you're talking to them or when you when you tell them to come back or something like that but you still got to look out for the dangers once you're in the store they could take off and run out of the parking lot or something so I kind
0: of kind of view it the same way I guess Got yeah so when it comes to training and the principles of maybe training a dog are they the same across whatever you want the dog to to do whether it's pheasant waterfowl be a shed dog i don't know other things like maybe be a police dog or you know you're you want this dog to accomplish a task for you sure is the training regiment the same or different
1: yeah that's a that's a really good question um I, I think a good word to use here, um, not that training is a bad word by any means I use it all the time when I'm talking about it, but when you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of it is conditioning, you know, yeah. and which brings us nightmares back to our, uh, gen psych classes in college, right. And hounds and <laughs> and everything else, you know, but, but really that's how, that's how animals are trained. They're conditioned. And there's, there's a desired behavior with an expected outcome. And, Um, so yeah, like you mentioned with, with, um, the, the example of like a a police dog, you know, or even, even, uh, some of the dogs used for like sniffing out bombs or or drugs or something like that, you know, you, you notice a lot of those breeds are, are limited to just a few, you know, they have those, those genetic traits that, that make them most favorable for those roles, you know? Uh, so I guess you can, you can condition dogs to do what you, you know, what the desired outcome is. Um, and, and a lot of that is the same, but depending on the, the breed of the dog is, it kind of factors into how easily they'll be conditioned to do those things. So for instance, um, when I was growing up, we always had uh, golden retrievers and I'm telling you the second you, you have that dog off of a leash, a retriever, and you throw like a stick in the yard or whatever, they're going and getting that stick, (laughs) you know, but now my, my Brittany, he's, he has a natural instinct for, you know, locating pheasants and and quail and, you know, settling into a point and, and waiting for, for me to come along and flush the bird. And, uh, but if I, so, so training him in that way is, is easy, but to try and get him to retrieve something that took a lot of work you know the first few times i threw something he he looked at me like something was wrong with me you know (laughs) and and so you it kind of varies i guess from you don't really change maybe the technique so much although sometimes you might have to you know change how you reward the dog whether you're given more of you know if it's a puppy you're probably going to use some some scooby snacks right to start out and and uh uh, use that treat reinforcement or but with an older dog it's going to probably be more of the physical and verbal praise and stuff but uh, different breeds of dogs are going to they're going to be a little bit more of a challenge and in, in some areas and they're going to excel more in some areas than than other breeds and so i think that kind of dictates your training you know it, and when you when you um think about like you as in that role of of conditioning your dog um you, you you brought up uh the shed hunting dogs which i just think is one of the coolest things you know and i have such a hard time finding sheds i always wanted my <laughs> i always wanted my dog to get it done for me you know <laughs> but but um the probably the the best shed dog trainer i know of is a guy named uh, jeremy moore he's up in wisconsin yep and um he runs a, a dog bone and uh he he um, just talks a lot about how you have to train the, the people too. you know, we have to train ourselves. And a big part of that is just kind of reading our dog. And, and much like it is for me in the classroom with a bunch of students, you know, you have students that are capable of of this doing really well at this. Well, this this student over here, maybe they don't do so well there, but they do well over here kind of have to work with strengths and weaknesses and you know start with those tried and true methods that work but if they aren't if they aren't getting through to the dog then you know what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome yeah (laughs) and so and so you uh, as a as a handler you kind of have to then maybe step back and be like all right these these normal methods that that do get through with with dogs aren't working i'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to take a different approach here and, and see how I can do better in order for my dog to do better.
0: Okay. Do dogs ever lose what they've been trained? Like, let's just say I train this dog, right. From mm-hmm. all, from birth to, you know, three years old. And then all of a sudden for a year, two years, three years, I decide I don't want to be a duck hunter anymore or right. life gets in the way. And then I, I still keep the dog, but then I pick it up you know, however many years later and say, all right, let's go. Do you think the, does the dog retain that information?
1: Yeah, that's, that's another really good question. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing has sort of happened with me. Um, when I, when I started out, when I, when we got our first bird dog, um, I was, you know, watching all the training videos, reading articles and stuff, even bought a book or two and, and uh, some training equipment, and um, you know, I, I set a pretty solid foundation for uh, for my dog for um, pheasant hunting, and he's and and that's one thing that I've maintained through through the years is I, I just keep pheasant hunting with him every year and and do more work along those lines with him. But I also, like we were just saying, I wanted him to find sheds for me, and so I started doing some of that shed training with him, and I was doing it quite a bit and uh you know like you said life happens you have a couple kids down the road and and you kind of have to pick and choose what your your uh your focused hobbies are going to be you know it can't be split in so many directions so i i kind of backed away from the the shed hunting with him a lot you know he 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 wasn't making that progress like he did with the pheasant hunting and and uh, i could tell it was going to require more intensive training for him just because it didn't really come all that naturally for him. I mean, he knows how to recognize scent and stuff like that, but, but just getting him to like, get that permanent image branded into his brain of an antler and then connect the dots. You know, I, I just was, I was struggling with that. And so I kind of backed away from it, but on occasion, you know, it's, it's interesting to bring this up on occasion. I'll see him sniffing around at a shed that I got laying on a table somewhere or, or maybe, you know, I'm moving stuff around and I pick up a couple of sheds or something and set them somewhere. I bring a couple home when I find them or something and, and he'll kind of check them out, you know? So it makes me wonder, yeah, how much does he still remember now with, with stuff like maybe the waterfowl example or something? Um, I think if they do that enough, and I think that, that like, um, We'll take an example here of a, of a retriever like a like a lab or a golden or Chesapeake Bay or something They that comes so natural to them that a lot of a lot of your training is built on their instinct, right? And so I would say in the case of uh, if, if if that happened to you if that was your dog You would have to go back and certainly work on some of those finesse skills, just kind of like almost those, those luxury skills, you know, for us as hunters, you know, turns out I don't really like to bend over into the water and pull the duck out of the water. How about I train you to hand it to me? (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? And some of those more finesse skills, I think, um, can go away a little bit. But if you make that good foundation when they're young, lay that groundwork, um, they, they pick it up pretty quickly. Just last night, I, I had my, my dogs out, um, uh, for the first time in a little while. And, um, I was just amazed at how quickly they were, they were just repicking you know, picking things back up and, 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 um, really, uh, uh impressing me with, with how much, you know, they retained <laughs> since our last training session. And, and so, you know, I think we can give them we can we can give them more credit than what we would tend to think we can but you know they're 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 not infallible either you know they, they they make mistakes and they they um forget things and certainly regular regular time spent doing that training is is so valuable and and i think probably where you'll where you'll end up missing out as the handler and as the hunter down the road is your dog will not have reached what they could have reached by the time their hunting years are done. You know what I mean? Right. They, they, because you had to kind of keep going back to the basics and just focusing on the basics, then, then, um, you know, that might mean two pheasants instead of a limit of pheasants each time you go out. Whereas had they had all that training, you know, man, you probably could have really racked up the the
0: birds through the years. So yeah. Makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's break down this uh, this ten disasters to avoid with your gun dog article. And the sure. fir- and the first one is untrained gun dogs. Let's just break down that little category first. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so uh, probably a, a good story I could, I could tell that goes along with this was um, a guy that my my father in law knows. Likes to come all the way out, lives out in the East Coast, likes to come all the way out to Iowa, northwest Iowa and pheasant hunt every year. He's got, he's got, uh, I think, two or three bird dogs and um, he, he's an experienced trainer. You know, there's no, no, nothing bad to say about the guy by any means. You know, this is, this is, he knew what he was doing. And he brought his dogs out and uh, he had a new pup that he kind of wanted to, you know, just show him around a little bit out on the East Coast. They don't have a lot of off preserve pheasant hunting, you know, so wanted to take advantage of every opportunity he gets, I'm sure. Um, Brought his dog out on their way back. Um, So probably 10 hours from, from where this guy lives, he let his dogs out at like a rest area. Uh, just to go to the bathroom and stuff, kind of air out the dogs a little bit. And, um, what his youngest dog, his pup took off, you know, like got on the scent of a, probably a raccoon or something or a squirrel or rabbit. And just kind of like, boom, gone into the, into the kind of forested area around the rest stop. Well, he he like waited for hours, put out calls with the local police and stuff like that. and, basically tried to reel this dog back in and find somehow find it couldn't find it so they had to leave it behind because they had no idea where he was and uh, so went all the way back home well then like a day later or something somebody calls him up I think it was the police department called him up because he left his number with him some lady had found this dog wandering around on i90 you know which is like one of the east coast equivalent to like interstate 80 here in yeah. iowa you know just kind of Busy. wandering around just just because he wasn't he didn't he didn't have that reliable recall which is the you know when you call your dog they come didn't have that mastered yet and the, the dog took off got distracted and you know really could have been a horrible situation thankfully he was able to get his dog back and and all was well but but those are the really when i when i was talking about that kind of a problem the, the truly a disaster right you know right that, that goes back to not having that foundation of, of the training done there. You know, another thing that we don't really have to worry about here in, in Iowa, but maybe if somebody was doing, uh, some, some Western pheasant hunting or, or even maybe some chucker hunting or something, places where there's porcupines or maybe some grouse hunting in the East, um dog tangles with a porcupine they never seen one before if they're from iowa you know what i mean what's that what's that big uh bushy looking thing crawling across the ground next thing you know you have a super expensive vet bill maybe a blind dog or something and had you been able to keep control that dog keep him close to you get him on that reliable recall you could have stopped him from pouncing on that thing yeah and uh you know and of course you know there's skunk sprays around here or or even tangling with another aggressive dog, or something. You know, there's yeah. there's just so many so many preventable problems that go back to having that foundation of of training established.
0: And that's kind of a good transition into the second uh, category, which was which is injuries in the field.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I can kind of leave this with another out of state hunt story. Um, I don't know, maybe three four years ago. Um, my best friend and I we'd just gotten done uh doing a day of pheasant hunting and we were headed back to uh, here to the quad city area and we stopped at a sporting goods store along the way back. you know you can't resist that when you're in town right <laughs> you gotta go go blow a few dollars at the uh at like shields or something but while we were in there there was a couple of guys all dutted out in their blaze orange and their their game vests and stuff and so we kind of struck up a conversation asked how. Asked how, if they'd had any luck that day, where they were hunt, hunting and that kind of thing, and they were from Ohio and they had read an article in in uh, Field and Stream or Outdoor Life or something like that about how uh, Iowa was like this this kind of undersold pheasant state, you know, and so they were like, hey, let's make the trip out there. So the guy brings out his German hair and uh, while they're hunting, dog just gets terribly hung up on on uh, thorns. I mean, really gashed her and she's bleeding all over and they had to, uh, and it's a Saturday, of course, you know, that's when all, that's when all crummy things like that happen, right? When it's (laughs) it's harder to find help. Right. And so they had to search around being way out of town and, uh, had to find uh, a vet that could basically emergency vet service that could stitch her up and, and, uh, You know, I think that kind of ended their, their hunting with that, with at least that dog. I'm not sure if they had more dogs with her, but you know, that just got me thinking, how prepared am I for that? You know, after talking with them and, and, uh, um, you know, probably one that that's more common than even just getting ripped up by thorns or, or barbed wire, even if you're hunting a fence row or something, how many times have we all tripped over an old barbed wire fence that's, you know, buried in the grass or something, but, but things like, uh, their foot health you know stepping on those things stepping on an old barbed wire fence you know we have boots on that's their that's just the pad on their foot you know or or um actually when i was doing a little shed hunting uh this this spring i had my dog out and all of a sudden i just kind of noticed he wasn't he wasn't like walking you know like like all that differently but i could tell there's a little hitch in his giddy up and i uh i was like what, what's going on there and and i called him over started examining his feet finally it turns out he's got one of those just giant burrs, you know the, the kind that just like get buried on you whenever you you're like trying to pull cards in a trail camera or something they just stick to you everywhere he had one of those like wedged way up between his toes and in between his toes and his the main pad the the meta meta pad on his front paw and you know it just got me thinking it's like if i was hunting would i have actually noticed that and the, the kind of you know it was it was really starting to hurt him and and he he you know not just the damage to his foot but to his shoulder joint and stuff limping around like that and, yeah and it's just so important to to keep an eye out for your dogs because especially when they're they're bird hunting you know they're they're just so one track mind they just they, they just want to go that they'll kind of block that pain out and really start causing serious damage to themselves and so you know checking your dog down after every hunt um that's something that uh, i actually kind of learned from uh, uh reading some of the material put out by uh, another uh iowan who's who's an excellent uh, bird dog trainer bob west he always talks about as soon as you're done with, with your hunt, just give your dog a once over, just, just go over everything. Just kind of give him give him that check down just to find stuff like that. You know, you might find a cut or you might find something that needs more attention. And, uh, you know, if serious enough could, could, could save your dog's life. So yeah, uh, let alone the hunt, you know,
0: but, but do the, do yeah. the feet. I mean, obviously, uh, the cardiovascular system, just like a human, if we're, if we were sure. to compete, we have to do, uh, you know, some kind of calisthenics or uh, cardio to get in shape. What about a dog's feet though? Do you, do they have to be toughened up through uh, training so that they can go and perform optimally at, uh, out in the field?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dogs that are getting the, the right amount of exercise, it's gonna, it's gonna help kind of keep their, their nails down a little bit Um, because those can start to get kind of long and can can get snagged on things or even kind of cause them some some foot pain Um, but also yeah the toughening of their pads you know getting that getting almost like you said uh, you know when you're when you're in the heat of lifting weights or something for a sport you get those awesome calluses on your hand you feel like you could like just grab stuff out of the oven without an oven mitt (laughs) you know just just uh, really tough hands and uh, that that same kind of thing can happen with with a dog's feet. You know, if they're getting enough exercise, they can it, it it doesn't mean that they're impervious to injury, but certainly they'll be able to hunt longer, maybe on a little bit rockier or or um, more abrasive terrain, you know, especially if you want to do some some uh, western hunting with your dog. Uh, certainly your the feet have to be in in good shape or even, you know, grazing them on some ice shards or something during a late season hunt, you know, they might hold up a little bit better to cuts and nicks and stuff like that. So,
0: yeah. This one uh I've seen firsthand and it's hydration. I've mm. I went out with a a buddy and his uh the dog doesn't tell you he's thirsty because from this is what i i saw the dog was just on fire that day right he just kept you know finding kicking up birds kick you know doing what he was supposed to do and you know the the guy who owned the dog probably just you know slipped his mind i you know i need to need to give him some water throughout this day and it just didn't happen so he got the dog kind of got weak and got tired and he ended up having to carry the dog back to the truck oh man yeah so we're you know he hydrated him, and and everything you know worked out fine. But how do you keep a dog hydrated when yeah. when the dog can't tell you he's thirsty?
1: Yeah, again, that's that's got to be on us as the handlers. Um, we have to. It's kind of like um, again, you know, I, I often use the kid analogy when I'm talking about dogs because it's in some. Some in fact, I think last night I started yelling at my kid like I was yelling at my dog. <laughs> my wife kind of looked at me like, "Oh yeah, wait a minute, I'm talking to a human here." But uh, uh kind of like with your kids, you know, you gotta you gotta look out for their best interests. You know, sometimes you you know you gotta check in with them. Hey, do you gotta you know take a bathroom break? Hey, do you need something to drink? Hey, do you you know do you want your coke? Are you too cold? We kind of almost have to take that same approach with our dogs because of the very thing you mentioned. They're so amped up, so wired to uh, to you know basically complete this mission with with us. They're their, their best friend, right? And and um, <clears throat> if we don't if we don't take care of them in that way, if we don't if we don't just pause the hunt, so to speak, and give them a couple gulps of water. Then yeah, they're gonna they're gonna run ragged. So, a lot of times you'll see if you're you're watching like uh, hunting shows or something like that with with bird dogs, well, uh, an excellent tool just to bring along in the field. Cheap, um, work great, uh, easy to keep clean, is a Gatorade bottle. Those Gatorade squeeze bottles, um, uh, we always used to use them at uh, football practice or a football games. Have them on the sideline, and uh, it, they just they're real easy to carry you can whip them out real quick and, and you don't waste a ton of water whereas if you just use like a like a nalgene bottle or something you know you're so much of that water is going to miss the dog's mouth and how much are they really getting hydrated from it but with the with the gatorade bottle you can just kind of pause the hunt again that's where that that underlying training comes in right because they don't want to pause the hunt but if you've trained them to come when you call them and, and to calm down for a minute you can water your dog and and um and then, you know, resume the hunt, um, just from maybe like a hunting, like a hunting standpoint, like you, to not ruin your hunt, so to speak, you know, maybe kind of pull back from where you're at at the time. So you're not, you're not watering your dog and uncovered ground yet. And, and through all that messing around with your dog, you're not scaring off roosters or, or quail or something like that. So kind of just pull back, uh, back into the ground you've already covered, pause the hunt and uh you know get your water bottle out and and help your dog out that way
0: okay and in the same category as that is overexertion. yeah break yeah, that and down that's,
1: that's kind of like what uh, you're talking about with with your uh, buddy's dog there um you know uh think kind of like uh like the mile day in PE growing up, right? It always seemed like it was the hottest, most miserable day when you when everyone had to shuffle out to the track and and run around there. And there were some kids I seriously feared for their life. You know, <laughs> they're like <laughs> they're like crying, like grabbing their chest or whatever. You know, uh, probably because they were so so in such poor physical shape. You know, and and uh, the same thing can kind of go in with what we were talking about with our dogs' feet. Um, if we're working them enough, if we're getting them that exercise that they need, then they're going to be able to stay in the field a little bit longer. And if we aren't, um, if, they're, if they're too much on the family side of, of things, you know, uh, or they're just kind of laying around couch potato dogs all the time, they're not going to be able to hunt very long before they start um, really risking damage to their, their muscles their muscles, their, their ligaments and tendons, and and even their joints, and then also their energy levels. You know, they don't have, they don't have the maybe necessarily the best diet or, or at least the right balance of exercise to, to food intake. And, um, as a result, you know, you could end up with a, a situation, um, where they're, they're just plum tuckered out before you feel like, the hunt should be over. And so you can kind of keep pushing them and then you run into that problem where uh, they're just shutting down and, and you got a long hike back to the truck and maybe even risking, you know, something if you factor in heat with it, heat stroke for them or, or, um, you know, one of those, those kind of mechanical injuries I just mentioned, or extreme dehydration, muscle cramping, all those things. Uh, I'm probably not going to have like, I mean, I'm not going to say it couldn't happen, if it's an older dog, it's going to be more likely, but maybe some heart problems as well. Um, but, but yeah, overexertion is, it's it's a real thing that, that can happen. And sounds like uh, along with the hydration problem, your, your buddy kind of had that with his dog. And that can even happen, you know, with a, a dog that is getting plenty of exercise. If you're just hunting them too hard without enough breaks in between, especially if the weather's not quite right for them, you know, a little hot. Just take some of those breaks. Just... again, you gotta be the, you gotta be the one looking out for your dog because like, like you mentioned, they're just, they're on fire, you know, doing their favorite thing. They
0: don't want to stop. Yeah. And I think the next category, uh, dangerous retrieves kind of speaks for itself, but you know, break that down as well.
1: Yeah. So kind of along with that thing that we've been talking about with, um, what dogs just, they're just feeling it, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, um, Find a lot of birds. They're they're getting all that praise that they're longing for from you. They're they're just enjoying the the freedom and everything. But they also they like getting their mouth on those birds. You know they like finding them. They they like find them once once we've knocked them out of the air and back onto the ground, and uh, that's that's like their job and they're wired to do it. Especially if they're they're an upland bird dog breed. You know, um, talent breaking a dog off of a, a off of a downed bird is possibly the most difficult thing to do um but uh in in this case where it is a dangerous retrieve you know maybe that maybe that bird went down um uh, right near the mouth of like a badger den or something you know or maybe it went down uh, uh near an active hornet's nest or maybe it's um uh, Maybe it's, um, down like a steep ravine or something, or, or uh, the one I think of probably being the the scariest thing is for waterfowl hunters, you know, bird, you, you wing a duck or something. And that thing just swims out to the middle of like the river or the middle of the lake or something. And (laughs) your dog, your dog doesn't do that calculation. You know, they're like, Hey, down duck, I'm getting it, you know? and they swim all that way out there. And if it's been a long enough hunt or the water's cold enough, you know, they might start cramping way out there or or just get too tired and not be able to make the swim back. And so, um, again, going back to that, that first point of having that trained dog, that's when it's gonna be pushed to the ultimate test right there is getting them to break that instinct of, I have to pursue this bird at all costs. And instead, do the boring option listen to my handler swim back and leave that bird in the water and it's hard on you as a hunter you know because we like we like to think of any animal that that you know we we harvest we take that very seriously we don't we don't like to just leave game in the field and so it's it's hard on us too as as their handler as as the hunter you know but but we got to think of the greater good here in that case and, and again, step in the way for our dog and, and per, basically save them from themselves. Yeah. So, you know, that's hopefully one that doesn't come up that often, but certainly can.
0: Yeah. A couple more, uh, real quick ones here. Other predators. Have you ever had an experience, whether it has been a, a pheasant hunt or a duck hunt where a dog's gotten in in a fight with, and I'm thinking about Iowa here, like a coyote or a bobcat or a badger or something like that.
1: Yeah. I had a close call once. Um, uh, I was hunting behind my male Brittany and we had hunted this kind of CRP patch along a, a Creek bed and it was a wide enough patch to where you could hunt it i think uh, let me think here it runs in the north south orientation so we hunted down the east end of it heading south got down to the end of that crp patch and uh we're like all right let's walk the other wide part on the the western side of the creek here heading north and so we'd been by this place not that long ago like this specific spot and um on our way back, my dog, he does a he does a really good job of maintaining that good proximity to where he's not flushing birds way out in front of me that that I'll never be able to shoot. You know, that's another important skill to teach your dog. And honestly, in this case, may have saved his life because on our way back, this coyote popped out. Um, he clearly w- was there when we walked by the time before, and he was kind of like, hmm, you know this might uh, be an opportunity here because Brittany's they're not really big dogs. You know, the, the, they're, the biggest are around 50 pounds, you know, and certainly within, you know, certainly within the wheelhouse of something that a, a coyote could uh, tangle with successfully. And, and uh, sure enough, he pops out right when my dog's right by him. And, and um, I quick, just rattled off a shot from my, from my shotgun, you know, to kind of spook him off and, and, uh, you know, can't say since he didn't attack him, you can't say that that's what he w- he was doing for sure, but it sure, it sure seemed like, like he had calculated that one out and was, was going to make a go at it. And, and, um, you know, had my, had my dog not been under control and been been maintaining that close proximity to me, I don't know that that would have ended <laughs> in a, yeah. in a favorable way, you know, and yeah. the same thing, a similar thing happened to, uh, a friend of mine who's been hunting a whole lot longer than I have. Um, I think he had a Brittany at the time as well. And, um, his Brittany was not, he was a, he was a really kind of a hard case dog. Um, and, uh, he was out a little bit too far from him and kind of the same thing. He he caught up to him just in the nick of time. There was a coyote waiting for him. And so I've heard those stories, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing bobcat populations do seem to kind of be on the rise here in iowa
0: so snake bites potentially
1: yeah i have um... a i I had a former student they had a dog get bit by a rattlesnake uh in 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 illinois okay you you don't really think of that in in this part of the country but but um happened you know so again being there keeping your dog close by and and uh Again, responding to your commands, and, but but the bigger thing is just having you close by to kind of intervene for them. And if again, if someone's wanting to do a hunt in some of those places where there's black bears or or um, you know even grizzlies or something, maybe you're doing kind of a high mountain. I think uh, there's some what are they the uh, oh there's a there's a species of grouse that can be at pretty high elevation. You know, you might start entering. Getting close to some grizzly elevations
0: there, and yeah, you know, that'd be no problem for a grizzly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fact. And the last one on the list here is gun safety. Yep.
1: So um, we've probably all felt this before when we've done a hunt with, you know, it's, you're going with a friend, and they're like, "Hey, I'm going to invite this guy from work or something to go along too," and you, you don't have the heart to be like. Uh, <laughs> Uh, does he know what he's doing? You know, is he going to, is he going to be like, uh, throwing lead at me? And and is he like a a safe person to hunt with? And so you're just kind of like, oh, okay. And when that happens and it's, it's not just deer hunting or something like that, it's, it's pheasant hunting and you got the dogs. That's something that always concerns me because hunting with dogs is different than just hunting by yourself. You know, there's all these other things that we've just walked through, you know, all these risks that exist that, that, um, if you're hunting by yourself, you don't ever even have to think about. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when, you know, when you're, we'll take pheasant hunting, for example, anytime you see that, that, that movement in the grass, right. Or that, that kind of, uh, any kind of any kind of indication that there's going to be a, a flushing bird. Yeah. You know, you just, you're, you're winging your gun up to your shoulder and, and you're ready to go. Well, if you hunt with dogs, you know, that I have to basically give it an extra half count or, or, you know, a full second or something, um, before I pull the trigger, because maybe that moving grass is just my dog, you know? And so when I, when I hunt with somebody, I, You know, I think it's a a really good practice to be like, to to just, you're intervening for your dog here. So it could be kind of an awkward conversation, but you kind of have to say, hey, look, I don't know if you've ever hunted with dogs before, but um, please uh, just be cognizant of the dogs, you know, give it an extra second when you see, you think something's flushing just to make sure you're not going to throw lead at my dog. And um, if you see a rabbit, that's another thing a lot of people try to, Try to do when they're pheasant hunting is, and I don't blame them. You know, I'd do the same thing. Where you know rabbit season's the same time as pheasant season, and rabbit tastes great too. So, you see a rabbit kind of bust out of a, a brush pile or something that your dogs are just working by. Um, if I mean now you're talking about shooting at something that's on the ground with your dogs, and so if they're not looking close enough, um, they might they might nail one of your dogs. So have that conversation but then also practically we all wear blaze orange for a reason you know when we're when we're uh upland hunting we're trying not to shoot each other so i like to i found some really cheap uh uh, blaze orange dog vests at a hardware store and i just put those on my dogs along with uh some blaze orange collars and and, uh, that helps give them that little bit of extra visibility. You know, it's not perfect because sometimes the grass is, you know, way taller than they are. And, and so you still have to have that, I think, have that conversation of, Hey, just please, uh, keep an eye out for my dog, Yeah. you know, and, and, uh, everything, everything should, should work out well. And, and, um, you know, hopefully you in that situation end up with a new
0: hunting buddy out of it too. So, Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I interviewed a guy, uh, this goes along with the gun safety, you know, a a dog doesn't know, you know, where guns are pointed, they don't know if the safety's off or on, those kind of things, right? So, um, guy, this is a, I think it was a waterfowl story, Uh, they get done with waterfowl and everybody lays their their, uh, guns in the back of this uh, uh, ATV, or this uh, side-by-side deal, dog Mm -hmm. jumps back in, the safety's off, shoots the guy in his leg, and he ends up having to get amputated. The leg oh. has to get amputated. Oh, man. So not only just that kind of what you mentioned, gun safety, but, you know, the other... Yeah. The, there's Gun safety's under-talked about, to be honest yeah. with you. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, so it's very important to just know, you know, take your bullets out. If you're not using them, take, you know always have it pointed in a direction where there's not a pe- person, you know, I'm really strict with my kids if we're around guns or even, yeah. even when they're playing guns, you know, like, yeah. uh, Hey, you can't, you can't shoot them in the face, you know, like, don't, don't do that. You don't point guns at people, that kind of thing. So,
1: yep. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. Yep. The, the dog doesn't, the dog doesn't know.
0: It's just yeah. a tool to him. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Kent, man, I really appreciate your time you know hopping on and and chatting with us today uh any other things that uh, we should know or or disasters to avoid
1: yeah um you know when i was putting this list together i tried to i tried to come up with you know an even balance of what are the most common the most common threats but also some of the things that maybe hunters don't really think about you know kind of like with the the predation one, you know, where your dog could actually go from the, the hunting dog to the hunted dog, you know, but so some of those types of things aren't going to be as common, but maybe some, another thing, you know, that, that after I wrote the article, I was like, you know, maybe I should have included was allergies. You know, sometimes just like people, a dog can have an allergic reaction to something. And if it's serious enough, you know, maybe it's a bee sting or maybe, maybe, um, you know, just some kind of plant that they ingest or something. Um you, you you really need to if you're gonna be away from home, which most of us, you know, when we go pheasant hunting, we are, at least to some degree. We need to have that that backup plan in our minds for, you know, who we're gonna call and and have that twenty four hour vet emergency center, you know figured out unfortunately there's no pet 911. So you, yeah. you, you don't want, you don't want to be stuck there trying to get a cell phone signal to look, to Google nearest animal hospital. Just, you know, it's just part of that responsibility of, of looking that up and, and um, you know, just, just paying attention for your dog in that way. And, and you asked some really good questions today. I mean um, I have a, a couple more articles that, that should be coming out soon on kind of like choosing a dog and, and how to start with the basics and stuff like that, that could kind of answer some of those questions when, when people are considering what, what dog to, to maybe is right for their family and, yeah. and uh, how to set that good foundation. But, you know, I'm just a, a guy who kind of does it for a hobby. You know, here's probably one of the most important things I could say. If, if somebody's really serious about training their dog, you know, they want maybe a field trial quality dog get professional help, those guys, they've made it their life. You know, they've, they've, um, they've, they've really, uh, mastered that, that skill of, of communicating and conditioning, uh, communicating with the dogs and conditioning them to, to be a, a, a well-oiled machine out there in the field. And, and, uh, it's really an impressive thing to, <laughs> to watch dogs of that caliber work. So, yeah, so definitely, absolutely. uh, seek out those resources. And we have, we're fortunate here in, in the Midwest and, and even in Iowa to have a lot of those, a lot of those trainers very close by. So. Perfect.
0: Well, Kent, man, thanks again for your time and good luck this fall. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks again for having me on the show.